Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, good to see you, and uh, I'm very pleased to be able to be with you this evening. I was at uh, Riverside this morning, and we had a nice time there remembering the Lord, and uh, it's good to be able to come back here to Claremont for my last meeting before I travel back home on Tuesday uh, to the United Kingdom. I'd just like to thank the elders and the assembly here for inviting me here in the first place and for arranging things during my stay. I've enjoyed being here, enjoyed your beautiful town and walked around it uh, quite a bit, and of course enjoyed uh, visiting some of the other assemblies as well. You might just remember in your prayers that when I do go home on uh, Saturday, as this coming Saturday, I have a meeting down in the southwest of England in the county of Cornwall, you may have heard of that, right down in the southwest, so look forward to that. And then on the following Wednesday, I set out for Singapore and Malaysia to spend three weeks there, with, uh, mainly with an assembly in Singapore. Uh, but during that three weeks, they have their family Bible camp in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, so we'll be traveling there and back as well. So we value your prayers for safe travels and all those related things. Now, would you like to turn for this evening, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 19? The Gospel of John and chapter 19. And we read there, we will read from verse number one. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then further down, and verse 19, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, fulfilled which said, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Verse number 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. 
The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already, so they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with the spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken, and again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Down to verse 41. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. And I'm sure God will add a blessing to the public reading of his word. It seems to me that when we come to a passage like John chapter 19, that we are to a very great extent standing upon holy ground. It is the sort of place where, spiritually speaking, we need to take the shoes from off our feet, understanding as we do that we're being admitted into the heart of God. We're being admitted into viewing the death of his son at Calvary and into seeing for ourselves the story of great salvation. Of course, there are many different ways of looking at John chapter 19, but the way that I want to share it with you this evening uh, may be slightly different, or you may have um, heard this before, but um, I want you to notice that throughout this chapter, there is a word or a phrase that occurs again and again. You may have noticed it in the reading, or you may have noticed it earlier yourself. And it is the phrase, the soldiers, the soldiers. Now, if you have your Bible open, I'd like you just to follow this through for a moment. Look at verse number, number 2, John 19 and verse 2. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Uh, verse number 23, then the soldiers, and again in the middle of the verse, to every soldier apart. Look at verse number 24, the last sentence. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. I draw your attention to verse number 29. The word soldiers does not occur, but it says they filled a sponge with vinegar, and another gospel tells us that it was the soldier, one of the soldiers who did that. Verse number 32, then came the soldiers. Verse number 34, but one of the soldiers. So you can see it is evident that there is a thread that runs through John chapter 19, the soldiers, the soldiers, the soldiers. However, you may also have noticed 
that there is another phrase that runs parallel with that phrase, the soldiers, and again runs through a part of John chapter 19. And that phrase is the scriptures. If you look at um, the verse number 24, you will see in the middle of verse number 24 that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Look at verse number 28, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Look at verse number 36, that the scripture should be fulfilled. And at verse number um, 27, 37, and again, another scripture, Seth. So, we have running through this chapter two competing phrases, competing for our attention. The soldiers, the soldiers, the soldiers, and set against it, the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures. And this is indicative of a uh, contrast. It is indicative, if you like, of two themes, different themes running through this chapter. It is indicative of a conflict to be hard fought, the soldiers against the scriptures. And of course, I want to show to you in the end that inevitably it is the scriptures that come out on top. You will understand that at this time, the city of Jerusalem was under control of the Roman Empire. You will know that the governor there, the Roman governor of the time, was one called Pontius Pilate. And you'll remember that he had been backed into a corner by the Jews who were demanding that the Lord Jesus Christ should be killed, should be crucified. And they had got Pilate, they had managed to get Pilate to uh, bring forth the death um, sentence against him. But just before that happened, you will see that in chapter 19 and verse number two, Verse number one, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And you would understand how dreadful that was. And verse number two says, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. So here we are introduced to the first action of the soldiers. I just want to draw your attention to the fact that in another of the gospels, right at its very beginning, you have a conversation, you have a message preached by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a compelling preacher. He did not only expound the Old Testament scriptures, but he did so in such a way, in such a compelling way, that people felt in response they needed to do something. And you will remember on that occasion, he preached his message from the Old Testament and some people came to him and they asked him, what shall we do then? And some others came and they asked him the same question, what shall we do? And then there came soldiers who had been listening and they demanded of him. Now you see the difference there. Some people said, what shall we do? Some people asked, what shall we do? But the soldiers demanded what shall we do then? And John the Baptist gave them three words of advice. He said, 
do violence to no man, neither accuse any man falsely, and be content with your wages. Do violence to no man, neither accuse any man falsely, and be content with your wages. Now that, who those particular soldiers were, they may well have been temple soldiers rather than Roman soldiers, but the whole, if you like, genre of soldiers were given this advice. And they broke all three items of advice in John 19 and in John 20. So here is the beginning of it. Remember that that's hanging over their heads? Do violence to no man. And what happens in verse 2? And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put in him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and smote him with their hands. In spite of the fact that Pilate was about to declare, I find no fault in this man. What the soldiers did then was sheer, unadulterated wickedness. I suppose soldiers at war are a frightening sight. And I imagine, and I would suspect that some of you have been in the army. Uh, one of my boys is um, uh, presently a general in the British Army. And uh, I just remember something particular about him uh, that, I'll tell you, uh, that I'll share with you. Um, the only thing that I think is more frightening than seeing soldiers at war is seeing soldiers at play. Um, my son, my number two son, was, um, uh, went to Sandhurst, which is the British Military Academy. And when he graduated from Sandhurst, I went there for the graduation dinner. And I sat beside him at dinner. And when it was finished, he said to me, I think you should go home now, Dad. And I said, well, what's going to happen? Oh, he said, they're going to um, have some games in the mess here. And uh, I said, but I might like to see that. And he said, I don't think you would. I think you should go home. Because he did not want me to witness soldiers at play. Talk about rough and tumble? Well, it was much worse than that, I imagine. Soldiers at play. And here, in John 19, verses 2 and 3, it was soldiers at play. If we bring into um, this situation what the other Gospels tell us, something like this occurred. The Lord Jesus Christ stood there, having been stricken by them, and as he stood in Pilate's judgment hall, one soldier went up to him, bowed his knee in front of him, stood up and spat in his face, took the reed that was in his hand, and smote him with it, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and laughingly turned away to rejoin his fellows. And another soldier would come forward, and he would go forward and he would bow the knee and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and stand up and spit in his face and take from him the rod or the reed and smite him heavily on the face and laughingly return to his fellows. 
And the gospel writer puts it something like this, and I paraphrase, and they kept on coming up to him. Brethren and sisters, I say to you this evening that these soldiers, maltreated, abused, tortured, and set at naught the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of the advice given by John the Baptist to do violence to no man. As you come further down the chapter, I mentioned to you that Pilate had been blackmailed, if you like, he had been backed into a corner. And one of the things that he did finally was that he wrote a title which said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, the leaders of the Jews did not like that. They saw that this was Pilate getting a bit of his own back on them by showing that they were crucifying their own king. And they didn't like that. It was the truth, but they didn't like it. And so the leaders of the Jews went to Pilate and said, we want you to take away that notice and replace it with one which, which says, he said he was king of the Jews. And the only time in this whole sorry event that Pilate stood tall was when he said, what I have written, I have written. And he refused to change it. But I draw your attention now to verse number 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. The second advice that the soldiers had been given was to accuse no man falsely. And at this point, it is absolutely clear that the Lord Jesus Christ had been falsely accused. There were witnesses produced against him, but their testimony did not agree. And Pilate was almost ashamed of the fact that he committed him to death. But the soldiers, four of them, were given the task of crucifying Jesus. And when they had crucified him, nailed him alive to the cross, they took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part. One of the things, one of the reasons why the Romans liked this act of crucifixion and used it so much, and one of the reasons that the Jews also appreciated it was that what was done was not only the act of crucifixion, but they would take away from the victim everything that he had. If he had a house, it would be destroyed. If he had a family, they would be chased away. If even the clothes that he was wearing, they would be taken from him. And the idea was that he would also be buried in a common grave, which was an insult to Jews. The whole idea being that if in one or five or 10 years time, if you had come to the city of Jerusalem to look for the grave of Jesus of Nazareth, you would not have found it because every trace of him 
would have been written out of history. There would not have remained one thing that would have directed you to where he might be buried, to where he might have lived, or to the possessions that he had, because they had all been taken away. The possessions that were owned at this point by the Lord Jesus Christ were five pieces of clothing. And what these soldiers did was they took his garments, four soldiers, five items, and they divided to each soldier apart. Sometimes I wonder who got his sandals and where they ended up, and so on. But there was one item of clothing that was left over, and that is described here as his coat. The point is made that this coat was without seam. Generally speaking, this coat, or this garment about which they are speaking, <coughs> was made of two parts which were stitched together in the middle, a top half and a bottom half. But this coat was rather special in that it was not made of two parts, it was of one part only. Our verse says it was without seam, woven from the top throughout. It was rather special. Of course, I love that phrase, don't you, without seam. It appears to me that that is an apt description of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in him, deity and humanity came together without seam. It was seamless. In him, righteousness and mercy came together seamlessly. And in him, love and judgment came together without seam. He was of one part, which just reminds us that we should not try to divide him into two parts. Sometimes you may have heard somebody say that as a man, he slept in the boat, and as God, he stilled the storm. Well, that's not a good way of putting it. You could not separate the God from the man, his life, his character, his person was seamless. So they said about this coat, each soldier now having one part of his garments, they said about his coat, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it whose it shall be. And these four soldiers, by the foot of the cross, they threw dice or cast lots, and one soldier won the coat. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment or two that you might be a reporter, a newspaper reporter, or a television reporter for the Los Angeles, whatever it is, and uh, you have been sent to Jerusalem to cover this event. And so you're at this crucifixion, you're at this cross, and you saw what happened, you would have thought that once they had given to each soldier a part, they would have taken this coat and tore it into four parts, and each soldier would have had exactly the same. 
You might say, well, what good would that have done for them by tearing it up? Well, these soldiers not only spent time in the barracks, but they also spent time in the open air in the field. And this would have been cut into four or divided into four, a good thing to put on a stone for a pillow to soften the pillow at night. But you saw what happened. Now then, you might have ventured toward these four men and said, now listen, boys, I saw what you did. You very carefully separated and divided between you the first four pieces of garments. But I noticed particularly with this coat that you didn't divide it among yourselves. You threw dice for it. Would you tell me why? And these soldiers might have said to you, well, come to think of it, we don't really know. Seemed a good idea at the time. This has been a tough day. Tension. A popular figure. Will the people rise up? Will there be problems? And so the soldiers admit it, I imagine, or would admit to you that they did not know why they cast dice for it. As you look around struggling to make your story for the Los Angeles, whatever it is, you see a man standing there and you go and talk to him. You discover his name is John. And you say, John, did you see what happened? What they did with the coat? And John would say, yes, I did. Surprising that, wasn't it? No, said John, I don't think so. I expected that to happen. You did? How come? Because, said John, if you look in the scriptures, it says in our Old Testament scriptures that they cast my, that, that they divided, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. That's exactly, precisely what they did. They parted his raiment among them, his clothing, but for his vesture they cast lots. And John would say, that is in the Old Testament scriptures. And you, the reporter might say, really? That's incredible. Could you show me that? And I imagine John might have said, well, if afterwards we go to the temple or to a synagogue, I'll show you exactly where you can find it. It was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and you have seen it enacted in front of your eyes today. You see the emphasis then at the end of verse 27. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. But I draw to your attention this. One would have thought that the mighty Roman Empire was in control in Jerusalem that day. But it is evidenced by these scriptures that they were not. Because the scripture says this, therefore they said among themselves, let us not rend it, rend it but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. So here now, we have on that dark day, 
the first skirmish between the soldiers and the scriptures. And I cannot help but smile to myself that in spite of Rome, in spite of Pontius Pilate, in spite of the crucifixion team, the scriptures carried the day. Again, it's interesting, and we noted it in the reading in verse number 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And you will remember Old Testament scriptures that had also prophesied that that is something that the dying Messiah would say. And at that point, somebody filled a sponge full of vinegar. Another gospel, I said, told us, tells us that it was a soldier. And they put the sponge with the vinegar on it, with the wine on it, upon hyssop. And they put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Savior of the world, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, was dead. And Satan and the world could heave a sigh of relief. I want you to notice verse number 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, that is, the preparation for the Sabbath, the Sabbath day that was coming up was a rather special Sabbath day, but I imagine the Jews did not know just how special it was. It would be the last real Sabbath day. And so when they, they went to Pilate and asked that the legs of the three victims might be broken, what they were saying really was to Pilate was, look, in a couple of days' time, we have a very special Sabbath day. We don't want these bodies hanging upon the cross, so we give the wrong idea. We would like this mess cleared up quickly. And the way to clear it up quickly was, of course, to break the legs of the victims. How the breaking of the legs could kill somebody uh, was important because it was another reason that the, Jew, that the Romans liked crucifixion. Because by that means of death, they could control almost exactly to the minute when the victim would die. Because when a man hung upon a cross for some time, his body would start slipping down in the cross and he would find difficulty in breathing. And therefore, in order to breathe more easily, he would use his legs to push himself back up on the cross and for a while at least, breathe more easily. But break his legs and he can't do it. So said these callous Jews to Pilate, break their legs. Pilate was also anxious to conclude this horrendous day. And Pilate agreed that the legs should be broken. Now I want you to see that then we read in verse number 32. Then came the soldiers. This time, not the crucifixion team of four, but I imagine another two. And their brief from their commander 
is to break the legs of the three victims. And so they go to the first victim, a thief and a robber and a vagabond. And one of the soldiers lifts an axe or a mallet and swings it and breaks his legs. They go to the other victim, another thief and a robber. And the same man, perhaps, lifts the axe and swings it and breaks his legs in one blow. The man is as good as dead. And then we read in this verse, verse number 33, but. But when they came to Jesus, they noticed something. They saw that he was dead already. And I imagine that one of the soldiers might have nudged his fellow and said something like, no need to break his legs. He's dead. And so the axe was not lifted and the axe was not swung. And I imagine that at that point, all heaven breathed a sigh of relief. But this soldier, who had not been instructed to do anything like this, took a spear and pierced his side and John, who was still watching, said, and there came out blood and water. It is remarkable that Roman soldiers who are trained to obey on the pain of death should here at this point disobey. They were told to break the legs and they didn't do it. They were not told to use their spear, and they did. And you, as a reporter of the, for the Los Angeles, whatever it is, you've noticed that as well, and you think to yourself, remarkable, I must get more information on that. So you waylay these two soldiers on their trek back from the cross, and you say to them, excuse me, men, I was watching you, I saw what happened. You were told to break their legs. You broke the legs of two, but not of the third. Why didn't you do that? Well, these two men might have said, well, he was dead already. But you, as an investigative reporter, might say, but look, dead or not, you were ordered to break his legs and you didn't do it. That is likely to mean your death. And it's extraordinary. You were not given any instruction to use your spear. And yet you did. Why did you do that? And the man who did it might say, well, I was frustrated. It's a long day. I shouldn't have done it. But somehow or other I did. You might then go looking for your friend John. You might discover him again, and you might say to John, John, did you see what I saw? John would affirm that he did. Did you see, John, that they did not break his legs? 
John said, I saw that. And were you surprised? No. Now, John, you're not going to tell me that in your dusty old scriptures written hundreds of years ago that there's something said about this. John would say, well, strange you should mention it because that's exactly what I'm going to do because there is a scripture which says, a bone of him shall not be broken. That the scripture might be fulfilled. So you see that in this skirmish, as the soldiers face the scriptures for round two, what comes out on top? Inevitably, the scriptures. They always do. They always will. But there's another interesting point here. You will remember that for 33 and a half years, the Jews had tried to destroy him, the Savior. Right at the very beginning. Do you remember when he was born in Bethlehem? And the wise men came, and they came to Herod. And they told Herod they were looking for one who was born king of the Jews. Pilate had no idea. But eventually, having inquired, he discovered that the scriptures had said that a likely place for the birth of the king of the Jews was Bethlehem. And he sent the wise men there. And then he thought about that. He thought here was competition, and so you remember that he killed all the children under two years of age in the Bethlehem area. Rachel mourning for her children. And again, you will remember that when he sent to soldiers to find and to kill the Lord Jesus, that they arrived there, we would say, a little too late because Joseph had taken Mary and Jesus down into Egypt, away from the influence of Herod. It would be right in one sense to say that they were too late, but it would be right in another sense to say they were too early, because a theme that runs through John's gospel is his hour. That is the hour of his crucifixion, the hour of his death. His hour had not yet come, so they were too early. Again, you'll remember one day, that he was preaching to them, and they decided in Nazareth to cast him over the edge of the mountain. And so they rushed at him, pushing, and somehow they missed him. How did that happen? Because they were too early. You remember on another occasion they took up stones to stone him, and as they threw the stones at him, the scripture says, that he went his way, passed through them, unharmed and unhurt. Why could they not kill him then? Because they were too early. You will remember that he was out in a boat and Satan raised an earthquake in the sea to drown him. But that didn't work either. Why not? Because they were too early. And I would say to you that for 33 and a half years, they were too early, and at the last minute, they were too late. Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me, 
I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. The scriptures fulfilled. I want you to see how they were fulfilled here in John chapter, in, in, in our chapter, and verse 36. These things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And of course, the Old Testament did say that. And not a bone of him was broken. But look at verse number 37. It puts it slightly differently. And again, another scripture says. Now, John is not claiming here that this scripture was fulfilled at this point. But there is no doubt that when they did pierce his side with a spear, those standing around looked at him, and you could say they looked on him whom they pierced. But I say to you today that this scripture has yet another fulfillment yet to come. Described to us in the book of the Revelation that the Jews in that day will look on him whom they pierced and mourn for him for their huge mistake. Finally, you remember that John's third word of advice to them was, and be content with your wages. Be content with your wages. They were to accuse do violence to no man, which they did. They were to accuse no man falsely, which they did. They lost out on the scriptures being fulfilled. Now, there was something else fulfilled here as well. The plan would be to take the bodies down from the cross to throw them in a common grave, to cover them up quickly, to clear up the mess, and would all be done and dusted. And uh, as they were about to do that, there came forward a man of Arimathea named Joseph. And he went to Pilate because he was a member of the Sanhedrin and had influence with Pilate. And he asked Pilate if he, Joseph of Arimathea, could take the body. You know, I say to you that that was the fulfillment of another scripture which said they made his grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich in his death, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Furthermore, you will remember that when it was discovered on the third day that the body was no longer in the tomb, that the soldiers made their way into the city and found the chief of the Jews and told them that the tomb was empty. And the end result of that was that the Jews offered them what the authorized version quaintly calls large money. I don't think it's so much a large amount of money, but it's extra money, extra to their wages, a bribe. They offered them extra money if they would only say that while we were asleep, his disciples came and took him away. One just wonders in passing, if they were asleep, how they would know such a thing. So, what do we read? We read this. They took the money. And that saying is current among Jews until this day, and so it is. And so I draw your to your attention this great fact, that whatever the circumstances, whatever the time, whatever the power of the enemy, 
the scriptures will always be fulfilled. The promises of God, promises of God will always be kept. And you and I can comfort our own hearts in days that are fast darkening by these words written by someone else. God is still on the throne and he will look after his own though trials oppress us and all things distress us. Our God is still on the throne. The soldiers, the soldiers, the soldiers. The scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures. Heaven and earth, said Jesus, will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. May God bless his word, shall we pray. Our Father, we come to thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for thy son. We stand with those men and on their behalf we apologize and say we are sorry for the way we treated thy son here on earth. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And yet our Father, we thank thee for thy loving grace, thy tender mercy. We remember he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we bless thee for everyone here in this hall tonight who has been forgiven their sin in rejecting the Savior. And so we pray that thou wouldst impress this message upon our hearts. Grant that we might draw from it not only shock, but that we might also, uh, we might also derive from it comfort and reassurance that thou art ever and always in control and the scriptures will always be fulfilled. Therefore, we lift our hearts and we look, joy, we look forward joyfully to a further promise that says, I will come again. And we pray, Lord, that that might be soon as we ask these things in his precious and worthy name. Amen.